episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? Yo, what's up, man? We got all-stars announced, starters and reserves. We got a lot of things happening around the league. But we had to go outside the box and uh, talk about actually what's blowing up the NBA right now. Yeah, we got to talk about Top Shot, and hopefully everyone's has heard about it by now. It's It's blowing up. All I'm reading about, even players are talking about it. It's um, We're going to dive deep into it today, but to help us with the conversation, we're bringing on Mohit Vasudeva, a good buddy of mine, fellow Kings fan. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the, the Fox All-Star snub a little bit later, but uh, you know, Mo, Mo's already dabbling in Top Shot, and uh, you know, it's good to have you on, man. Hey, I'm excited to be here, guys. Long-time listener. Uh, big Kings fanatic and, you know, me and Karthik go way back. So I've been, I've been begging him to get me on the podcast. So I'm, I'm excited to be here, excited to talk shop and excited to talk about what's going on. As a Kings fan, nobody else talks about them but us. So the only way to generate more Kings content, you just have to come onto the pod and do it yourself. Oh, man. exactly. That, that, that was the whole reason for, uh, for getting you on. We're going to slowly morph this into a Kings, uh, Kings combo, don't worry. Um, but all right, let's start with let's start with Top Shot. So, for those who don't know, uh, at its core, essentially, Top Shot is now a a platform that's leveraging blockchain technology and allowing fans to buy and sell NBA video highlights. So, essentially, digital collectibles, and it is licensed by the league, and it is taking off. And so, essentially, what you are trading or what you're purchasing is a moment. And each moment contains a highlight and some information about that highlight. So it could be a LeBron dunk in a, you know, on a Tuesday night game against Charlotte uh, in February. And then um, it'll include his stats and some other basic information. But at the core essence of it, this is a clip, a 15-second highlight clip that you're owning, you're purchasing. And you can choose to trade it on the open market or... Um, you know, just add it to your collection. And and the value of these cards is determined by essentially the value that users are placing on it. Some highlights are going to be worth more, but also the supply is tightly controlled. And so some cards are rarer than others and some are more common, just like you have with normal trading cards. And that is what ultimately determines the value of these cards. But I think the real story is how the valuations have really been blowing up. We're talking about thousands, ten of thousands of dollars that cards are being traded for. So before we go into all the, the details, Nitin, I just want to get your thoughts on Top Shot. What, what, how have you been exposed to it? Are you, uh, you know, what is your opinion so far based on everything that you're seeing? So I, it's actually funny. A buddy of mine messaged me on Twitter a link about a month ago to check out this idea called Top Shot. And a month ago, seems like a while ago in the, in the times that we live in right now, right? A month ago, this wasn't being talked about. I opened it. I had absolutely zero clue what I was looking at, and I closed it, and I ran away. So <laughs> I guess the way I've seen it progress, and I've had some conversations, and I'm interested, Mo, to hear your point of view because I know you've dabbled in this space, is if we come down to the basic notion that anything is worth the value at which someone places on it, that's one of the core tenets of, of economics, then I guess you can understand this phenomenon and this craze because it's a actually a more shareable way to own something versus a trading card that sits in your basement that nobody ever looks at. At the same time, 
I'm really struggling to understand how this got so popular so quickly. And really, if this is just another example of one of countless bubbles that it feels like we're sitting on uh, at this time and place. So I like the idea in theory. I like that you can own something authenticated by the NBA, but what people are paying for it makes absolutely no sense to me, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and I'm right there with you guys. Uh, you know, I was the same way. I think about a month ago, someone sent it to me and I was like, what is going on here? Like, we're actually utilizing, you know, blockchain technology to create clips that, you know, anyone could get via YouTube, via like Instagram, House of Highlights, whatever it might be. And now we're giving monetary value to them. So I was definitely skeptical at first. But I think as you start to dig into like the economics and like, really, you know, what is it that we're creating here? It's, and it's very much the, the new age, you know, sports card market. Um, you know, everyone used to go out, they used to buy their sports cards, they used to hold on to them, you know, share them with their friends, show them off. And now we're in this, you know, new age of, hey, like, you know, digital clips are around. Why not be able to, you know, claim your rights to a clip? And, you know, at the end of the day, these these are, you know, incorporated by the, the league. So being able to actually own a piece of share that is actually, you know, being valuable to fans. And, you know, I don't know if it's driven by, you know, the pandemic and everyone sitting inside all day and not being able to go out and actually watch the game. But there's definitely a lot of demand and it's a lot of excitement to watch these clips kind of blow up. Yeah, and I mean, I think the the one thing you guys both touched on a little bit is the fact that these can be found on YouTube. What makes them unique? And so, um, I think for those who don't know, the the concept behind this this technology is this idea of an NFT or a non fungible token. And so, the idea of this being uh, blockchain is you, you're able to show the origin of an individual moment when it's created, track that moment, and then you can also prove unique ownership of that moment. So. You can't copy it. You can't have duplicates out there. Well, yes, you can see the highlight anywhere you want, but there is a unique ownership element to these to these items. And so, knowing that you're the only one with a that LeBron James moment, uh, that has value to some fans, and that is enough value for people to be spending you know, thousands of dollars on this. And we're seeing this concept of NFT in digital art and other areas in which. It's, it's, you know, where collectors are involved, where it, it matters to have one of a very rare item. Um, and it matters less to have something that's very common. And so it's, it's just interesting because I think this concept is we're seeing it now in the NBA and with, with digital kind of highlights. But to, it's, an, it's a concept that can be applied to a lot of different things or a lot of different collectibles. And so in that I, sense, I mean, it could be something more longstanding. In the world of virtual, this can literally be applied to anything, right? Like, because you're talking about almost like the derivative of the actual event, place, thing, anything that you're rever referring to. So like digital art, for example, is probably blowing up to a multiple multiplier of what's happening in the Top Shot world. So people are playing into the millions for artwork and you could say, well, I don't understand what's the value people are putting behind it. And so to play devil's advocate, because I think we're all trying to figure out what this valuation is. If I told you, you know, $500,000 of game-worn Michael Jordan jersey went for, you could say, cool, that kind of makes sense because I have a history of collectibles fetching those kinds of prices. Versus you could argue, well, who's stopping me from going to some Chinese website and getting a Michael Jordan jersey print like stitched for 50 bucks? 
And so that's kind of the, the, the counter argument to what is driving these prices up. And to your point, Karthik, I think you basically can create these types of assets with anything that people think is valuable. Um, and that's where, you know, I think the NBA is probably ahead of the curve. I don't think that this exists yet for the NFL, but I don't see what would be a barrier for it coming. Like, think about how much somebody pay, would pay for the David Tyree. Some Giants fan would pay for the David Tyree catch in Super Bowl in 2007, right? Stuff like that. So I think, I don't know if it's here to stay, but I understand people flocking to it. And Mo, to your point, I think a large part of this and a large part of a lot of the investment activity we've seen across the board has to do with the pandemic and the fact people are looking for ways to spend their time and money. Anybody who's a white collar person in 2020 made money in a world where a lot of blue collar people went broke and a lot of activities or time spent vacationing, traveling, going to work was all erased. So this it's this really weird scenario. And what we're seeing as a result, I think, is a lot of uh, flocking to what the latest fads are and where the latest stores of value can be found. Yep. And I, I 100% agree on that point, too, is, is it really is at the end of the day, it's like, how do you determine it? Um, and think about the sports card industry. If we think about that, like way back in the day, like everyone had these collectible cards that people were going out and getting. But at, but, you know, once printers came around, you could have just easily printed out a picture of your favorite player putting a dunk on someone or, you know, or your favorite player just holding up, you know, a, a trophy. You could just printed that out and, you know, posted that on your wall or even posters for that matter. So like it is a, it is an asset in a sense. And really it is, it's just garnered on how much a fan really values it to me and you always are, everyone will always have a different take on their fanhood. Karthik over here spends probably thousands of dollars a year on jerseys uh, of different guys uh, that he likes. But my, my view of like, you know, fanship is spending thousands of dollars watching the game in person and like, you know, having that experience and sitting courtside. So uh, there's, there's just two different values and you can never value a same fan like appreciation the same way. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the jerseys, I, I totally totally understand that and then the other aspect is the FOMO aspect where uh you know Nathan you were talking about all these fads there are a lot of people who are like why didn't I get in on GameStop well, speaking of GameStop it's back up today so, but uh, uh you know why didn't I get on GameStop when a I could lot. why couldn't I a lot today yeah why <laughs> couldn't I have you know ridden the the wave of some of these trends and so now all of a sudden this comes out and it's more it's more tangible for the average casual fan right people may not understand crypto people may not understand um uh, how to invest, but the, a lot of casual fans understand sports. They understand sports cards, and so this is something that, in some ways, is has a lower barrier to entry for a lot of people. And because of that, um, I think we're seeing a lot more interest. And so, a couple couple of stats I wanted to, to go through with you guys. Um, so I pulled these numbers earlier this week, I think on Monday, and they're probably even higher now. But so far, the platform has attracted. 33,000 new users just in the past week. So that was last week and completed roughly 475,000 transactions. So a lot of action already. Um, and over the past 30 days, uh, Top Shot has done $106.3 million in sales, uh, which is an increase of 1,129% compared to the prior 30-day stretch. Um, and, and just a couple of examples of moments that have gone for a lot. Zion Williamson and LeBron James both had moments that were sold for a hundred grand each. So we're talking about 
yes, while the barrier to entry is low, you can buy a pack of cards for $9. People are selling these things and buying these things for the, the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands. Um, and it's to me, it's wild because this is not just for the star players. If you actually go on the platform and you look at, let's let's talk Tyrese Halliburton, right? You know, keeping with the Kings <laughs> of theme. Of course. Yeah, uh, Tyrese yeah, Halliburton uh, is a rookie, and, and rookies in, in the trading card kind of scene have greater value. I think that's been a common theme forever. Um, but he, his highlights going for, what was it when I last checked, like 18,000? Um, it, it was definitely in the it was definitely in the Something five. ridiculous, right? It, yeah, it was in the five digits. And so it's just insane to think that this is – it, it, sometimes it doesn't feel like there's a rhyme and reason behind some of these values. And, and then the other day you said a Lou Dort dunk was going for $945. So I don't even think he dunked it. I think it was a, I think it was a layup. I don't even think he actually, he was actually able to throw it down. So, so let me just, uh, in terms of the, the numbers and the prices of this, is this something that you think is this going to stabilize a little bit and come down to, something more reasonable or do you think these values are only going to skyrocket as we get more people into the system as the value of these assets increase? Yeah. So I think there's two, I think there's two ways to look at it. And I, I think we didn't mention one is like, so there's two ways of actually obtaining these cards. So you can either buy them by the pack or you can buy them off a marketplace from someone else. I go to, you know, a peer to peer place and I, you know, determine the value and I purchase that amount. There's three different kinds of actual moments that are out there. There's the common moment, which is like considered like the the cheaper value. There's over a thousand. I think there's there's no defined number of those, but it's over a thousand. Then there's the rare moments that are only up to 999 clips. And then there's the legendary moments that are only 99 clips. So a lot of the crazy valuations, like you, you mentioned, are, are, are coming from those legendary moments where there's a very small amount of those on the market. Um, and then even, and like you also mentioned, rookies, for example, always seem to get that Garner thing because this is their first year. If they start to blow up in year three or four, you want to have, you know, you want to you just have them, you want to buy low on them and have them at the high later on. So when you look at that, that aspect... Yeah, I think these legendary moments will continue to garner some of these values because these, you know, they, they don't exist today. Like, and there's not going to be more of these moments. But as you do start to saturate the market, like, how much will this continue to grow? Like, once there's a thousand Halliburton clips, like, are they going to be that popular? Um, versus, like, you know, if there's 300 LeBron clips, like, those are still going to be, um, you know, those rare, like, I want to. I want a piece of the king moment that you want to you want to kind of jump on. I mean, you know, that's a really interesting point, Mo, because at the end of the day, the game is going to continue evolving. There's going to be, like you said, more moments. And at some point, there's going to have to be some continued ratio of legendary to the next year to the next year down below that. So Part of the craze right now, I think, is because this is still in beta version. So there's one level of supply, right? That doesn't mean the supply is going to stay that way for the rest of time. It can't, obviously, because basketball is still being played. But I think what's going to happen is that a lot of people are going to then realize that Lou Dort's layups are probably not as tight as they once thought two weeks before that, right? Because he did something else that was sick. And I think ultimately, 
that's where this is going to be headed, where the LeBron James, you know, the Donovan Mitchells, I don't know why I said him second, but, you know, Zion, whoever, those guys are always going to have a certain amount of value. They're going to have a certain floor because of how good they are as players. But as we get more to infiltrate all of the others and just kind of create a higher quantity at the bottom, in theory, you would start to see some of those declines. So you kind of have two options as a trader, right? One is to just go for broke and go for the top level because you know those dudes are historic players and everyone's always going to care about their highlights. The other side is you combine extreme knowledge of basketball with extreme knowledge of top shot and you start scouting second round picks that are only getting burned (laughs) in the G League right now and buying up all their shit for the cheap price of like 500 for the time they checked into the game once. And you sit on those and wait to those multiply tenfold or a hundredfold and then sell them at massive profit. Those are your two options, I think, to really make money on this thing. That's that's the exciting part. I think it's finding those uh, kind of hidden gems uh, in the rough where you it you it's kind of like scouting, right? You find a guy that no one's talking about, uh, he blows up, and then all of a sudden you're making money off of that. And so it, it's an, it's similar to stocks. You're you're investing in some of these guys and and trying to profit long term. So I, I think it's it's really fascinating. And I think another angle of this, which I don't know if they're even thinking about, but when I think of a moment. If you think about the NBA, the NBA is all about even off-court moments um, or on-the-court moments that have nothing to do with basketball. The first one that comes to my mind is LeBron James blowing in Lance Stevenson, or sorry, Lance Stevenson blowing in LeBron James' ear. Like, why can't that be a moment packaged and distributed? You think that wouldn't go for a ton of money? And similar to that, like, there are all kinds of other things that happen. Uh, Another one I was thinking of was Michael Beasley rubbing Anthony Tolliver's leg. I don't know if you remember that highlight. That's um, like extremely fucking. What kind of extreme like example is that? I don't know when why that was happen? the that was the second thing that popped in my head. But like a moment can be anything, right? At the at the end of the day, um, it doesn't yeah. have to be a clip that's uh, a highlight on on the court. But I think the NBA is so good at creating these moments in general. Like we are all obsessed with the NBA and everything that goes on off the court that that could also become an aspect of this as well. Um, but Mo, let me ask you quickly. Mo, let me ask you this quickly, just so I understand. Can you only buy like little highlights moments or can you also buy like I own a LeBron James card or I own a Kevin Durant card or do they not have that element to it? No, they're only, they're only clip moments right now. So these actual clips are like formulated and that's what you're actually getting delivered. So it's not a card. It is a digital video. Got and, it, and, got it. and it's uniquely identified in the blockchain that gives it just its yep. value only being there for yourself. And I will say, and I want to hear about your experience with Top Shot, but I will say they've done a really good job with the interface. Um, I think that it's a pretty easy app, website, et cetera, to use. It's visually appealing. I can get why a lot of people are spending a lot of money. Well, not really, but I can <laughs> sort of get halfway there to understanding this craze. Yeah. And it comes twofold, man. Like it's not always it's simplistic, but like Karthik said too, like, you know, it goes to the average day fan. Like, Hey, like I know the players already. I know what's going on in the NBA. I know which clips to kind of go look for, you know, what players um, to actually target and, you know, go out there and, and find. So I think that's definitely the interesting aspect there that is really going to, is really probably going to take off for them. And I think the other thing though, that actually we didn't mention is like these packs are almost impossible to get right now. I was monitoring this morning and there was 75,000 people in line to get a pack of cards 
Like that's it's that's like just unheard of. I, I don't know how long the lines were for like the PlayStation Five release, but can you just imagine you're sitting there on your computer, <laughs> and you have seventy five thousand people in front of you before they even take your money to get a pack of cards? That's how crazy this thing is blown up. And, and the packs themselves are pretty cheap, right? So the packs, the packs vary. So there's three different, um, so there's three different packs. You can get a common pack which contains like nine common moments. Again, these moments are um, like, there's over a thousand of these moments. There's nothing, you know, they're, they're being mass produced. Then there's a rare pack that costs $22 and that has seven common moments in it. And then it has one rare moment in it. And the rare moments are only 999 clips. And then the last is a legendary pack. Those cost $230 and they have six common moments, three rare moments, and one legendary moment. And that legendary moment is only has a maximum of 99 clips. So what they're saying today is if you get in line and you get this legendary moment um, package, like most of these legendary ones are going for a minimum of two, three, four hundred dollars. So you're already up, you're already up ahead if you're able to sell it off on the, you know, the given market on the day. If you buy the common pack, a lot of these common moments uh, go from anywhere from 30, 40 bucks to like maybe in the upper echelons of the hundreds. But again, too, it's it's how much you're willing to pay. And there's a lot of these moments. So you're going to pay for the, probably the lowest amount. And if you do buy a legendary moment and happen to, or sorry, the, co- the, the biggest pack, the best pack and happen to get, you know, something crazy, then all of a sudden exactly. your whole world has changed. Exactly. And that's the, and that's the thing. No one knows how, like no one knows what's in these packs. It's the same way as, you know, going to buy that pack of cards back in the day. Like you, you go into that, you go into target, you like walk up, you grab that, that pack, you go home, you open it up and like, you know, you might get a bunch of scrubs that no one's ever going to care about, but Hey, that moment you get that Michael Jordan rookie card or second year card, that's when you get super excited and, and it has some value to it. The holographic Charizard. That reminds me. Of that. <laughs> That's what it is. is. Oh, there we go. That's the Lou Dort layup is the holographic Charizard. You know, kind of thinking through this, there's three distinct advantages I see to this versus the collectible, like the physical collectibles market. One is, uh, you know, just being able to keep the card in mint condition was half the battle, right? As soon as you fucking put your fingerprint on it, it just depreciated by 50%. So you don't have to worry about any of that now. It's just going to be there. It's going to stay intact, stay as it was when you bought it. Two is, um, you know, counterfeit cards or any type of fraud related to making that fake Jordan card or faking an autograph, any of that kind of stuff. None of that happens um, because of the blockchain technology that's kind of verifying all the transactions. And three is if you do this for the purpose of uh, buying and selling, you have an immediate market in the way you never did. So, Mo, to your example, if you do take home that pack and from you know nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of 100, all of your players were scrubs. But that one time you had someone tight, if you so chose to want to flip it, you're like, OK, who the fuck am I supposed to take this to? Like I'm the pawn shop in the mall, like they're going to screw me over. But here there's a market with. Every, yeah, as many buyers as you would have ever find, as you would have ever found before. So, Top Shot is making the market in a way that we've never seen before, and I think those those three advantages, in some ways, make this a lot better than than you know collecting physical items. That, that's the beauty of this entire thing. It's the accessibility, and like you said, you can 
easily hit that market right away. Uh, see the profits of your labor of getting those packs, getting that valuable card and immediately turn it into something. Um, and that can't be understated. Like I think everyone, we want to compare it directly to the trading cards, but I think trading cards at the end of the day still is very much a hobbyist um, kind of play, right? It very dedicated people who are, are going after different trading card packs and really care about it. It's a very small segment of the market. I think this expands it to a whole new type of audience uh, because of the accessibility. And that to me is why I think this is, it does have legs. And, you know, the NBA is one thing we haven't really talked about that much is the NBA is officially licensing this and, and putting their weight behind this. And so that is, makes it very interesting from the league perspective as well is that they want this to succeed. And, and I want to kind of pivot over to, to that viewpoint now in terms of the NBA and, and their, um, licensing of top shot this is another one of the examples that the nba is a at the forefront of innovation and thinking about other revenue streams we've heard of them talk about gambling and and other ways to to kind of really grow the game uh, or the way that we they can make money off of the game and this is just another potential area in which they could see a lot of benefits and so the fact that the nba is investing in this seeing this as part of their long-term strategy um what do you guys think that means for the league and, and the game going forward? And, and do you think that um, this is something that can really help, uh, you know, given that the NBA is facing a lot of criticism now around the on-court product and other issues, uh, is this another area in which they can kind of uh, build back that credibility? Maybe Mo, we'll start with you. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's another, it's another revenue stream for them. It's another ability for them to reach out to fans, create these, you know, moments because at the end of the day, like no, no one's shopping at the at the team store anymore at the stadium. So this gives them the opportunity to you know get out there, give this to give this to the fans, and allow them to actually you know actually hold on to this memory and and kind of go forward with it. So I definitely think it's it's big for the NBA um, to and you know they're always looking. I think Adam Silver has been great about this. He's always looking at different ways to like innovate, keep the fans engaged, keep it going and. I think this is going to keep legs. And I think the last thing too is at the end of the day, the NBA owns this content. And what I was, what I was reading too, is like, they're just, this is just the, this is just the beginning. They're going to start releasing the old clips, like, you know, the Michael Jordan clips, the Patrick Ewings, like, you know, the, the old school players, Chris Webber, you know, throw some Kings in there. Um, And, you know, they're going to start releasing these old clips and that's when fans are going to come running like you know no one you know all the young youngsters want the lebron ones but you know our age everyone's going to be looking for jordan they're gonna be looking for pippen they're gonna be looking for you know uh, kobe bryant like they, they haven't even started to scrape the surface of those of those moments so that's one thing that the nba is going to definitely capitalize on the problem is the old people with all the money who care about that can't figure out this website or app so they're <laughs> screwed no but i think look you know ted leonsis was considered somewhat of a visionary for putting a a sports betting uh, station inside of Capital One Center uh, a year or two ago. And now it feels like sports gambling is old hat, right? With the number of states that have legalized, the amount that all leagues have sort of moved on accepting it versus their stance even 5, 10, 15 years ago. And and yeah, I mean, this is the next thing. And I think old clips are a great idea as they continue to get smarter about what the market is. They're going to be able to adjust pricing and supply accordingly. And Look, it's really important that the NBA is behind this, but like you both said, this wouldn't exist without the NBA's credibility 
factor, right? Because they can't sell these types of moments. I mean, that's the big difference between this and going and watching these clips on YouTube is that the NBA is saying this is one of one or this is one of 20 or whatever it is. And the NBA is in a really weird spot where ultimately the success, you know, almost reminds me of like in the last dance, Jordan was talking about how all the fame and advertisements and sponsorships only really mattered if he was going out and scoring 30, grabbing eight rebounds, six assists, playing great. You know, so really what fuels all of the interest around the league will be as good as the league is to watch in some ways. And so I'm interested to see how, because they're always thinking about, you know, not just what's the answer straight ahead, but what's the answer, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what are the different alternate ways we can get into fans' living rooms? Is it esports? Is it something like this? You know, Last year, Spencer Dinwiddie tried to you know, sell his contract and like people could buy equity in him. And so they're thinking about all these different unique ways to monetize. At the same point, how does it counter with their focus on, on, on maybe fixing the quality of the game too? Yep. Um, I'm really interested to see. I mean, this year and last year has been devastating to a league that relies mostly on, or at least half on gate revenue. Um, you know, I think TV ratings have normalized a bit this season versus what they were in the bubble but they're still missing a huge chunk and because they artificially kept the salary cap high there aren't really any uh discounts coming back to the teams they're all taking huge losses this year so they're looking for anything they can i don't know how the revenue share works on something like this but there there's a lot of angles if this becomes a permanent market so let me flip this back in a way because you know we talked about the GameStop craziness from you know january and even from earlier today there's been a lot of activity around SPACs. there's been a lot of activity on crypto and 2020 was one of the greatest years ever for the market and i say all this because are we just having a liquidity issue where people just the cash is really burning a hole in their pocket like never before and as soon as we hit any type of recession people will be like why the fuck did i buy that zion williamson moment or do you think this is more long-term like Karthik, where do you stand on like just, or Mo, where do you stand on kind of like, is this going to last in terms of not just the market, but at some point someone's got to get caught holding the bag, right? Because the amount of money we're seeing flowing across every single type of security is, is, is pretty much unprecedented. I think you, I think you nailed it on the head with that. I mean, you, you talk about the stock market, you talk about everything we, you can say it, you know, day after day, like, are we in a bubble? Like, at what point is this, like, just ridiculous? Do we really have this much, you know, spare cash? So I definitely I definitely see that viewpoint. And I, I definitely think we probably will get to that. You know, you, you saw it with GameStop before, like, you know, the people that were in it in the beginning, like, yeah, they made out like bandits. But there's plenty of people that walked in, the, you know, the third or fourth day of trading, put their life savings into that bad boy, and it just came crashing down. So... I don't know. I don't know in the long run where this goes. I think I think it will stick around for a while, but you know, how long? It's it, I I really I really can't say. It. I don't know, Karthik, do you got you got something on this? I, I think it'll the the valuations going to come down. I I do believe and I think it's going to normalize a little bit. Right now it's the hot thing. It's a cool thing to get in on. I mean, if you think about it, right now, if you bought a $9 pack, um any card you get, even if it's all common cards, like you were saying, Mo, like the $9 pack only gets you common cards. Those common cards are going for still a lot of money. And, <laughs> yeah. it, like, and that's why there's a line of, what, 74,000 people waiting for, for a common pack. So like, 
Like right now, literally, those common cards are not worthless. You don't even have to hope that one of them is good. Even the worst card in that pack is going to sell for more than $9. Um, I had trouble. I was going on the platform today. I had trouble finding, even if I went to a bad player and a common moment, it was still priced pretty high. And those are all Dude, bubbles. Like that- I'm literally looking at Denny Avdia, a three-pointer from December in a game we lost in the second quarter. It's $419. Yep. Exactly. Like it's, And so I, I, don't, I think that, that is a bubble. I think a lot of those um, really inflated prices for some of the lower-tier guys, is, it's not going to last. But at the same time, I think this it'll, it'll normalize a little bit. And this is still going to be popular because – it's tied to a sport. It's tied to entertainment. It's tied to something that we're engaging with on a daily basis anyways. When you think about you know, investing and, and GameStop, you can either be a part of the trend or you can remove yourself from the trend. With basketball, you're watching basketball every day. Whether or not you're doing Top Shot, you're somewhat tied to the, the concept of highlights, the concept of you know, what players are good, what players are valuable. And so because of that and that loose tie that's always there, I think this will always or for a long time, have some kind of legs. I do think the valuations are going to go down because that is a pure product of the hype machine. But I, I don't see if this is this closely associated with a very popular sport. I don't see why it can't last for, for several years. Let me let me ask you guys somewhat of a half-baked question here. Um, is part of the FOMO that I think is driving at least some of the bubble-type pricing a result of the fact that not only do we have nothing to do, but the last year, every topic that you and your friends could ever talk about was just miserable and would make you upset. It was COVID. It was the presidential election. It was like the racial injustice and all of the like surrounding uh, parts of that. And the one thing that everybody liked is the market going straight up. Right. And there was an element of like, well, that's the one thing I can all I can enjoy with my friends because we're all making out like bandits and we're all, you know, having a great time with it. And this is just another example of like things are going up. GameStop was going up. It was awesome to be on the ride if you were. And it sucked to sit on the sidelines and watch it go up 1400 percent in the matter of three weeks or whatever it was. And. I wonder how much of it is like we don't have anything else to talk about and therefore our intention, our our sort of our conversation topics, everything is focused on asset value because that's all we've got. Do you think that's crazy? Does that make some semblance of sense? And does that apply to Top Shot or is it just totally a different different sort of factor? Yeah, I definitely think it it, it makes sense. But you got to remember too, though, like in this whole blockchain and crypto world, like this this happened before. Like yeah. 2017, everyone was lining up. Like Bitcoin was skyrocketing. It went from you know it went from a thousand to seven. I think at the height it was like seventeen or eighteen thousand dollars, and yep. then it came crashing right back down. Where it's like, oh wow, if you got into that, you lost a lot of money, but. The people that were, you know, that were so passionate about it, that were so, you know, into it, me being one of them, just slightly. But, you know, I, I, we held on. We just said, hey, like, you know, maybe I'll come back. Maybe, you know, I, I believe in this. I think it has value. Maybe we'll come back. And, hey, it took a pandemic for it to come back, but it came back. So who knows that? Who knows if, you know, Top Shop, yeah, I guess maybe the hype will die down. Like once you don't have 75,000 people standing in line for these pack of cards, you only have a thousand. Like, you know, the demand for these 
dollar amounts aren't going to be five, six X. They're going to be one or two X. And, you know, the hype will slow down. But who knows when this picks back up? What happens when, you know, five years from now we hit another pandemic or, you know, something crazy happens and people start going back to the Internet and they look at their they look at their cards that they have and like, hey, like, you remember when this was cool? Like, remember when Pokemon <laughs> cards are cool? Let's bring this back. <laughs> Wait, did you say slightly so that we didn't ask you to buy out thick and thin? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Karthik, I think was I think Karthik wanted to introduce me as a crypto expert on the on the call. And I was like, please, please do not say that. I'm merely the guy that held on for dear life, but that was that was all. Yeah. Uh, um I think I, I think some of it though, Nathan, to your point, is the fact that it's not only that we don't have anything else to talk about, but think about our connection to basketball. We would go to games, uh, maybe not all of us, right? But that's one way we'd engage with the sport or we'd watch games together. We go to a bar. Um, These are all avenues in which we'd enjoy basketball. You take away everything. There's nothing you can do now except, you know, watch games online and, and YouTube clips. I think this gives you another avenue for kind of that tie to basketball. And, and so I think part of it is yes, just definitely, you know, there's not a lot to talk about. And this is just another one of those investing avenues that it's it's easy to kind of get in on, say you made a lot of money, talk about it with your friends. And then everyone kind of that message propagates and everyone's trying to get in on the same action. But I think just as a basketball fan, it's it's just another piece of uh, your attention in terms or mind share in terms of how you can engage with the sport. You know, what's funny and coming back to, I think that's a great point. It's, we've we've kind of been zapped of a lot of why we liked watching basketball um it doesn't replace going to a bar it doesn't replace like seeing a fun crowd even either in person or on tv you know when there's a game winner but in some ways it's just another way to connect with the game that you don't always get when it looks like a glorified scrimmage half the time guys putting up pulling up from 35 feet guys shooting 50 40 90 like it's nothing like the whole the whole game this season doesn't feel real to me still um, I wanted to to pivot a, a second back to like the underlying technology because I think you know it's funny in uh, my previous job as a consultant I did a project three or four years ago about um, how people wanted more sustainably sourced uh, you know ingredients in their food right and this was becoming a big thing and there's a lot more attention around eating good quality food but then also food that was not, you know, at the hands of slave labor and things of that nature. And a big question was, well, how do how can anyone verify what any transaction was down the supply chain, right? Or earlier in the value chain? And the big answer was, well, blockchain can do it, right? And at the time, it was like, well, okay, that doesn't really mean anything. That's not really telling me how to actually enact a solution. It's just throwing out a buzzword that you heard one time. And therefore, you want to say that that's the answer. And it's so funny because that is the answer right now. That's exactly how you're verifying transactions. It's exactly how you are um, creating that authenticity, creating that credibility. And I think whether Top Shot or not, you know, whether this specifically is what takes off to become this long-term staple of our lives or of, or of the game, clearly this technology and the NFT idea behind NFT has started something revolutionary in terms of how we interact, how we transact, Um and I think people are clearly willing to pay when they feel like you've removed uh, the element of uh, a fraud. You know, for example, why can't we sign leases on here? Why can't we sign mortgages on here? 
Like every t- there's no more Craigslist scamming if everything has to be done through this exact mechanism where there's a clear indication of payment made for for services or goods received. And I think this is just the tipping point. Um, and so Top Shots unlocks something really cool in in I think a, a lot of how our economy is going to be set up moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I think. And I right, go ahead, Mo. Oh no, I was gonna say I hundred percent agree with that statement. Like, I, I don't even know. I won't even dig deeper, but I think I think you're you're completely right. Like, people have been looking for this. Like, how to verify things is humongous and has been. And just purely off of that, like the fact that you can't replicate these things anymore. You can't like, yeah, you you can go out and find this clip on Instagram, like you know, House of Highlights, and you know, watch it a thousand times. But but the uniqueness of this um, item, like, you can't you can't fraudulently make it. So I think that's going to be a long lasting impact in not only top shop, but a lot of, a lot of new companies, a lot of new things that come about. And I think this is just the beginning of that. Yeah. And, and you know, I think something with like blockchain and, and NFTs, it's there's tons, like you said, tons of applications, but a lot of it has been purely an academic exercise so far. Um, and in terms of, yes, we know how we can apply it to all these different areas. We can see the benefits, but it's not tangible. And I think Top Shot has made it tangible and it's it's getting people to understand the value in this, right? Because the first question people ask when they hear about Top Shot was, uh, why isn't it not the same as having a bunch of clips on YouTube? Or why can't, isn't like if I own one and you own the same clip, it, you know, what's the difference, right? How, how do you know it's original? And so I think this is just, uh, it, it's kind of helping introduce the broader public to this concept. And I think now it's starting to click in everyone's minds. Like, okay, there are much broader applications and this does, you know, have a lot of legs moving forward. So um, totally agree. Yeah. Uh, Nitin, I want to, I want to, yeah. Any yeah. I mean, I feel, this? I feel this, I feel the same way that I would about cryptocurrencies and that this is a viable long-term solution. What they're currently priced at, whether it's top shot or Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever may not be entirely right, but it's trending in the way it's going to be long-term. But I just gave myself PTSD by talking about being Craigslist scammed. I got to, it reminds me, you remember I, I worked for Microsoft in 2016 the internship before uh second year at Booth and they actually offer sick corporate housing that I think Karthik, you may know the story, but they offer sick corporate housing that I, for whatever reason, didn't take. And so me and my buddy were like, let's just get a place. And we literally found the fakest fucking ad you've ever seen in your whole life on Craigslist. But we were so hyped about the place and moving to Seattle for 12 weeks that we were just like, we reached out. If I went back and looked at those emails, it's honestly embarrassing that an MBA and ed, like educated level person would fall for something like I should have had the degree stripped because <laughs> it was really bad. And then they asked for $1,500 a piece of so three grand. And then halfway in before, like two weeks before we we're set to move, they're like, we need another 3000 just to lock up your spot past July. And I was like, Oh my God. And then I put all the pieces <laughs> together and I couldn't look anybody in the face for like all that summer. But, Anyway, this would solve for that. That's the important thing. You know, you know what we um, we have a buddy Mona, a very good friend uh, who has fallen for a Craigslist scam. Where um, you know, just funny story. Where in 2012 we booked a college reunion um, to Santa Barbara, and uh, it was about 20 of us, and we booked a like a house on Craigslist. And my friend booked it, done all through very shady emails and, and transactions and handing over bank uh, credit card numbers, et cetera. 
and we all like in five cars drive down to, to Santa Barbara. And when we get there, the house, it, it literally, the address did not exist. Like the house was supposed to be in between two other places. It was kind of like a Harry Potter, you know, the what 10 and three fourths platform. Um, nine and three fourths. Nine and three fourths platform. <laughs> um, and it just literally wasn't there. And, and we had gotten completely scammed. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you're not the only Dude, one. These things are convincing, like yeah. just preying on the hopeless like ourselves. All right. So um, before we wrap up this topic, uh, we're going to we're going to go through some of the top shot players and moments. Uh, and I think, Mo, you got some pulled up for us. So give us what you got. All right, guys, I got two. I got two of them. I'm going to come up for you guys. I got a rare moment. So, again, it's anywhere between, I, I guess, 100 to 900 of these moments that are out there. And then I'll do a legendary moment. And I'm picking some just crap players and since you guys are newbies i want to see what you guys think the value is so kevin porter jr released from the cleveland cavaliers i think almost two weeks ago did a dunk on february 9th um how much do you think this is being at being uh offered at right now i'm gonna go with fifteen thousand dollars before i answer i take offense to Calling Kevin Porter Jr. a crap player, he's going to help my Rockets out of futility uh, very soon. But I'm going to go. You, this is this is the rare, or this, this is the rare. Yep. I'm going to go. It's rare that he was even in an NBA game, but I'm going to go twenty five thousand. All right. Well, Karthik was closer there. Uh, we got tw- almost thirteen thousand dollars for that card. That's the lowest asked right now, and there's five of them. Five people oh are. Five imagine, people. imagine being like, "Hey, honey, I just spent thirteen thousand dollars on Kevin Porter Jr. and it's a good idea." Oh man, never a good idea. All right, and let's pull. I'm gonna pull up a legendary moment. Now these are mostly gonna be stars, so I'm gonna let's pull out some like rookie that maybe. Oh, this is this is crazy valuation. All right, R.J. Barrett did a layup on October twenty third, twenty nineteen against the San Antonio Spurs. There's only 50 of these moments out there. Nathan, you go first. <laughs> I'm going to go 75,000. All right. Karthik? I'm going to go 65. <laughs> I don't know. I, I actually feel like Nathan might have been looking at this, but uh, Nathan nailed, almost nailed it. I don't know if we're, if we're playing the price prices right. Nathan went over technically, but it was 74 500 so that's just Damn. that's just oh my god for rj barrett i know he's the number three pick but come on I imagine coming home and being like honey i just spent 75k on rj barrett that is it's like uh, on, i don't know on what a jersey on a signed piece of memorabilia no on a highlight on him getting on a, to on like a, teach you basketball on an amazing dunk no on a layup it just gets worse and worse oh my god yeah, all right so, so yeah he's but these valuations are pretty ridiculous. So I think these have to come down at some point, but who knows? Maybe the LeBrons and the Zions stay up in the 200,000 range. I think Actually, the fun thing moving forward will be like cataloging a few at, you know, a few stars, few role players, whatever at these different tiers and then coming back in a year or two or shit, even like six months from now and seeing what, what's what. Yeah. That, that's the other question I had. Can you actually track uh, the, a card value over time like in the platform does it show you like a little line graph um i think it tells you what they've transacted at 
So it's almost like a home in a way. As long yeah. as there was a previous sale price, it'll give you that information. Yeah, like a Zillow page. Yeah. Exactly. So last before we before we switch off the topic, Mo, what top shot did you buy? Because I know you've bought one. So talk to us about what made you choose that oh, one, man. why you bought it. Oh, you you already know. You already know who I who I had to go out and buy. I, I bought a Darren Fox one, but oh. I, I I definitely rookie moved it. I picked a common player, a common moment, because the the valuations were just ridiculous and I couldn't justify spending more money than than I'm not gonna say how much I spent on it, but I couldn't justify spending more than three digits on a card. So um I, I bought a deer and fox. I tried to get a Halliburton one, but those were literally in the seven to eight thousand dollar range. And I was like, nope, nope, I can't do that. What does your fox guy do? What's his uh what's uh, his what does your fox guy do? <laughs> it's a pretty little layup. Uh it was 2019 game. Uh I think it might have been against, it might have been against your guys' wizards, uh Nithin. I am not sure, but oh, uh, wow. it's a pretty layup, but there's Got over a thousand these moments so battle of um, the nba's titans he bought it just to rub it in your face and then he dropped i don't exactly. know how many grand to, so have to you looked at that. what it it might be going for right now if you were if you decided you wanted to flip it so i bought it at the lowest value so like what so there was already i think it was there was about maybe 200 of them on the market and i bought it at the lowest value so uh, so the next up value is what you could probably flip it at and it was maybe it was like ten dollars more 10 or 20 dollars more so that was but this was also last week so let's see i i haven't checked it today so let's see what it what they're going for it might be closer to might be closer to 20 to 30 dollars but what i really wanted wanted to do this week was try to get one of the packs but they're just it's unbelievable it's literally they get released at 9 a.m and you got to just jump in line and pray that you refresh your computer quick enough to get there well what could have made that valuation spike a little bit and this is a good segue is an all-star selection his first of his career <laughs> that did not happen for De'Aaron fox so let's you know I love this discussion about Top Shot. Let's keep it close. Let's bring it up once a week and see where values are. No, but I think moving into the uh, the rest of the league, it's actually happened on the court. So all-star selections came through. Karthik, we recorded last Tuesday. Uh, and since then, both starters and reserves have been announced. Like I mentioned, Darren Fox sadly was left off the list. Um, I went, I'm not going to brag, but including Devin Booker being named Anthony Davis replacement, I went... Uh, you know, six of seven, I guess, including starters, 11 of 12 in the East and 12 of 13 in the West. Um, how'd you do? Uh, I think I had one less in each conference. You had Chris Middleton and Bam, who didn't make it. Yeah, so I had, I, had, I was only 10 uh, in the East. And then in the West, uh, I didn't have... You didn't have Fox, that's for sure. You didn't have Zion, I don't think. I did not have Zion. I put in Fox. No, I did have Zion. Zion was my um, Anthony Davis replacement. Oh, then I don't know. I guess we'll give you that, but okay. So as you look at the (laughs) rosters, who were your biggest surprises? Like, I can't believe that guy actually made it, whether or not you thought he deserved it, just the fact that coaches voted him in. And who's the biggest snub in your mind, non-De'Aaron Fox edition? So I'll, uh, I honestly wasn't surprised. I, this is the first year I thought they did a really good job at pretty much nailing it. I was not outraged at any of these selections. Um, uh, 
Vucevic was a little bit of a surprise to me, but he's had a really good season. Uh, and Zach Levine is another one that I think I left off my list. Um, but can't argue with this play. And all these East teams are muddled together. And so I, I actually don't have any problem with, with the selections as they were. Yeah. I mean, I think I would have to agree. Uh, Vooch was a bit of a surprise only because name recognition wise, he falls well behind Trey Young and Bam Adebayo and even Chris Middleton, who's been on the last couple teams. And I, I thought in the West, there's really 13 players for 12 spots. And given Anthony Davis was out, it was kind of 13 for 13. I think you could make an argument for DeRozan as much as you hate him. You could make an argument for Conley and maybe a smaller one for Fox and Brandon Ingram. But I think they've also got it right. Mo, what did you think? Would anything jump out to you that was like, what the fuck? Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you guys. I thought the West was spot on. Um, you know, it was rightfully rightfully done. The East, I, I'm still, I, I think Karthik knows this. I'm a bit of a Zach Levine homer. I, he just, he's not, he's, he's a good player, bad team, just putting up empty stats in an empty arena. So oh, no. I'm still, yeah. And, and, and funny enough, the Kings are the ones that gave him that, that max contract that he's on right now that the Bulls ended yeah. up matching. So I, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. I think you could have got Bam in there over, uh, I think you could have got Bam in there, Middleton too, but West was on West was on point. I would adopt Zach Levine if it was legally allowed. <laughs> <laughs> we know, I know. only three years older than him. Um, yeah, I think you know, and I think this game is going to be weird, right? Like none of these guys want to be there. Um, <laughs> that much is clear. I know there's some first time All Stars, and even for them, it's probably like pretty shitty, right? The whole point of All Star Weekend is like it's one massive party. And the thing is, Atlanta will be partying, but the NBA players are just not going to be allowed. They're going to almost be wearing like ankle bracelets at this point to make sure that they stay in their hotel rooms, which is just not the right way to experience All-Star Weekend. But at the same time, the league is not going to play the game in Atlanta, risk all of their best players coming in contact with the virus and and then coming back to their home markets. Um Oh, one last so, thing I'll say. I, I was yeah. I was happy to see that a guy like Vooch I, I wanted Bam, right, over Vooch, but I'm glad to see he made it over guys like Bam and Trey Young, who have bigger name recognition. Um, you know, at least from Bam's standpoint, he was in the NBA finals. Trey Young is just a, a highlight machine. And I know the coaches are selecting the reserves, but still in past years, I feel like even the coaches have always fallen back on bigger names. Uh, and and not so much these guys who were kind of a le- little less heralded like like Vooch. And so I felt, you know, I was kind of happy for him that he actually got the recognition for having a really good season on a really crappy Orlando team. Yeah, and it was different than um, it was different than what it traditionally is, which is like, you know, good stats, bad team guy like you're talking about, Mo, because that wasn't the case in Orlando. They've just they had their second and third best players knocked out uh, with season-ending injuries, and they've been just a health mess all year. It's not—he's played well, and they've played well with him on the court. They're just there's not enough minutes for the rest of the guys to be um, a good enough team. But Mo, what'd you think about? Uh, oh, sorry, what, what what else you got for me on All Star? I got—I just got to know one thing: is is, is Buddy Heald going to defend his three point? Uh, title or, or or have they announced or are they going to do only the all stars that are actually there doing the competitions? That's what I'm curious mm. about. Right now. 
That's a good question. And it would actually give LeBron finally, who's been running from the slam dunk contest for yep. 18 years, it would give, it would kind of force him. He might be one of the four best dunkers that, that are all stars. Yeah. Or even Zion though. I, I'd love to see him in the dunk contest. Oh wait, I didn't even think about this. So the, the dunk contest actually has to be players in the all-star game. No, so I mean, what, we don't know that. So what, what, what I heard was that they are doing the dunk contest during halftime. And I guess the three point contest before the game. So I don't know. So we don't know if they're actually going to invite outside players because they seem to want to keep this an exclusive event. Um, just have the all-stars put on the show, you know, try to make a little bit more money. Uh, so it's going to be curious to see what they do with the dunk contest and the three-point contest. I mean, three-point wise, you got Luca. Sorry, not Luca. You got he's not actually that good from three. You got Steph. You got Dame. You got Beal, KD, Kyrie, Harden. I mean, you got enough dudes to do a legit three-point contest, right? Simmons. Um, Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you got uh, Jason Tatum and all these dudes. Jokic, if he wants to just lumber around, if he gets an extra 30 seconds. Dunk contest, you got Zion and Zach Levine, which you could argue are two of the four best dunkers in the league anyway. But I don't know who would fill those last two spots because we know Mitchell. LeBron's scared. Mitchell is in a dunk contest. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mitchell. And then I think even Jalen Brown might might have a few up his sleeve. That's not bad. That's not, that's not a bad one. He doesn't do anything creative, but I guess who's really – dunking very creatively in game so um all right i wanted to touch uh before we go i wanted to touch on two teams the nets and the jazz so both currently uh are in the top two jazz are of course number one in the west nets are starting to creep upwards they're now number two they're just a game and a half or a game behind philly let's start with the nets karthik when that trade went down we knew that they were getting a third superstar, probably the most potent three offensive players to ever be on one team at you know in their primes at one time. But there was question marks about how they would play together, how they'd look defensively, and it started off really, really shaky, at least on de- the, the defensive end. They just smoked uh, the West West Coast trip. They went five and zero overall. They've won seven straight, six of which have been without KD. Harden looks like the best player in the league right now. So. You know, is there anything to worry about or is there anything that's like drawing caution or is it just the Nets conference to lose this season? It, I, I really think it's the Nets conference to lose at this point. Um, look, I, I thought it, there was a lot of questions on, on Harden and how he could fit in a new team, a new role. And I, I always said, look, with that talent, they're going to figure it out. Harden can play off ball. Um, and they are defensively they're still somewhat of a train wreck but they've been playing better like there are some games before early in the season they were switching everything and just getting abused in various mismatches they're doing a little bit less of that playing straight man to man the guys are trying a little harder i think um Kyrie and Harden have, have stepped up their effort levels and they're, they're there's nothing you can do to stop them uh, literally at, at clutch situations um they go mismatch hunting kind of like what uh, LeBron likes to do with his teams and him and Kyrie used to do with the Cavs. They're doing that, except they're doing it with, with Harden and Kyrie. And I think it's really benefited them that Durant's been out because uh, when all three guys were, were in together, it's harder to kind of establish a role, get a rhythm when all three had to learn how to play together on the fly. I think by Durant sitting out for the, this huge stretch of games, um, Harden settled into that role as a key facilitator. 
Kyrie playing a little bit more off ball. And I think that's going to set them up better for success now when they get uh, Durant back into the fold. So I'm buying into this team. I, I don't see any reason why they should lose uh, earlier than the, the finals. Um, and I'm excited to see what they do in the playoffs. Yeah. And I, I actually got to agree with you, man. This is, this is definitely their, it, the, the East is definitely theirs for the taking. Uh, Harden's playing at just unreal right now at the point guard position. Kyrie's shooting lights out. I'd be curious though, still like how they play against a big center um, when that, when that does happen in the playoffs, whether it be an Embiid or, you know, even in the finals against a, against a West Western conference team, I think the buyout market will be big for them. Um, can they pick up another big guy, another body to be out there uh, when you just got DeAndre Jordan leading the, leading the helm. So I think it'll be interesting, uh, but they're definitely the favorite here in the East and they, they look good this past week. They were just crushing people. A lot of people are talking about the big man and specifically Joel Embiid and how good Philadelphia's looked and how much he would go to town against a, a team like Brooklyn. To me, I think that's overblown for a couple reasons. One, last year and even the year before that, when when uh, you know Philly played Boston and then previously Toronto, that same logic was kind of put forward of Embiid's going to go wild and they don't have anybody to really check him. And last year, at least, I know they were missing Ben Simmons, but Embiid did go wild, and then his body broke down, and the Celtics just had too much firepower. And that was with a Celtics team that comes nowhere close to this Nets team offensively. And so as much as there's a question of who's going to guard um, you know, Joel Embiid, there's also a question of who's going to guard all three of these guys. I mean, Danny Green, Matthias Teibel, and Ben Simmons are who people are going to say. But then there's a question of how much do you even want to be playing Ben? Uh, sorry, uh, Danny Green and Matthias Teibel, right? Like you need to get other guys' shots, touches, minutes, and and it doesn't just work like that where you can just match Kyrie Irving's minutes. The, to me, the bigger question will be what we saw down the stretch with the Clippers game. Now they won that game, but it was very clear that Harden had the ball on a string and was doing whatever he wanted on the court. Kyrie went ultra hero ball mode the last six or seven minutes. I think he shot two of nine in the fourth, um, including some just absolutely ridiculous attempts. And that is going to be the kryptonite. If this team has one, it's going to be whether Kyrie can buy in because everybody said the only guy who's ever sacrificed was Durant before they started this experiment, but we know he's capable of it. Now I think we kind of know Harden's capable of it. He's averaging six less shots than he did in his last three seasons in Houston. He's at a career high in assists. He's at a career high in field goal percentage, three point percentage. He's playing this unbelievable style of basketball where he'll still pick and choose his spots to get to the line, step back three, all the things we know from Harden, but he's finding dudes all over the court, including Kyrie. And I think, Kyrie has to understand in those late game moments, he's actually their third best option, which is something that he's probably never experienced from a just shot maker standpoint, even when he's playing with LeBron. And it's even less about ego and who gets the, the credit. It's more about habits and, and, and how little he's had to relinquish that last two minute creator role. And I think he kind of does for this, for this to really work. I'm not saying he's not going to have ISO opportunities, but he can't do what he did against the Clippers where he's taking every shot. He's trying to go one-on-one -on -one against Paul George over and over. And, you know, it ends with the Clippers actually making a late game comeback, uh, you know, sort of because of those missed shots. Yeah. That, I mean, uh, that's one of their biggest kryptonites is I think just the hero ball that could happen late in the game. And it, it, this is 
you know, with all three of those guys playing, um, it can be real detrimental to them in, in a game against the Lakers or a Clippers. But I think that's another example though, of them beating themselves. I think outside of that, I'm less, I'm less concerned about the defense, the rebounding, all those issues I saw earlier in, you know, in their uh, tenure. Um, I really do think it, it comes down to that. Like those sacrifices, can they make it? They still got how many more games, 30 more games to sort those issues out. So um, we'll see. I mean, this is a big uh, step for Kyrie. If Kyrie can't, sacrifice here um and make that commitment then i i don't think he'll ever get that recognition as a player that that he wants um because now it's happened too many times where look you've got your ideal situation there's no reason why you know you can't be working with these guys and, and winning games so um you know speaking of, of teams that are hot piping hot we have to talk about the jazz because on the on the flip side in the west uh they've kind of run away with with that one seed in the west now especially with the lakers faltering um, the Clippers have been playing well, but they, you know, they've stumbled here and there and, and the jazz are on an absolute tear. And, and it's really interesting because this is a team that, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, this core of Mitchell and Gobert, and they were having a lot of offensive issues, um, and a lot of over-reliance on Mitchell as a scorer. And now this is a, a well-oiled machine on offense. And Jordan Clarkson has, has really taken his game to the next level. So, um, so Mo, maybe you know first. What are your thoughts on the Jazz? Is this sustainable? Do you think they actually are a, a contender when the playoffs come, or is this another classic example of great regular season team, but the same issues will crop up in the postseason? Yeah, I honestly think that this team is is something else this year. At first, I was skeptical. I thought, hey, they're playing hot. They're on a win streak. Like they'll they'll cool off. They're not going to be that that Western Conference team, but. Like you said, man, they are playing in sync. You got Conley playing great minutes with Gobert. You got Jordan Clarkson and David Favors coming off the bench. Like, it is a solid squad that's just, they're literally in sync on everything right now. And they're not only beating teams, they're blowing them out. I think they're 20, they've won 21 of their last 23. And like the average margin of victory is somewhere between like 15 and 16 points. So this is not like, this is not just like, you know, we're winning close games and we're, you know, picking up the W. We are blowing teams out. They just demolished the Lakers tonight. Um, You know, I know they lost one on the back to back with the Clippers, but still, like, this team has really showed up. And hey, like, at the end of the day, if you can lock in that number one seed in the West, like you almost essentially can avoid playing uh, one of the LA teams. So if you can make it to the Western Conference Finals and only have to deal with LeBron or, or Kawhi, like you got a good shot. So am I buying the hype? I am. Am I going to take them in a seven-game series against a LA team? Still kind of skeptical. <laughs> Nathan? Yeah, I mean, I think it's unfair to judge them as a playoff failure if they do go up against the Clippers or Lakers and lose. I think they're for real in the in, in regards to they're a great, great team. And it just may so happen that they run into a team that has, you know, one of the best players of all time or two of the top, you know, 10, 15 players in the league um, in terms of the Clippers. And so it, it's hard for me to say that right now I would pick them against the Lakers. I would pick them against the Clippers, frankly. I think that the Clippers are, you know, I think about this a lot. And like, we give Kawhi, and I know Karthik, I don't need to convince you, but we put Kawhi into this rarefied air that 
he deserves because of his accomplishments. But if you actually unpack those accomplishments, they're not necessarily the scenario he has in, in this team, right? Where he is the de facto leader in San Antonio. It goes without saying who he had in Toronto. He had Marcus Gasol, He had Kyle Lowry at Serge Ibaka, a, a more prime version of Ibaka right now. You got kind of like fake leaders like Pat Bev or Lou will guys who aren't really meant for it and guys who talk above their weight. And so I think, we always expect Kawhi to just be there. I don't know that he's proven it the way LeBron and even to some extent Anthony Davis is a second secondary guy has. All that to be said, I think the Jazz are going to make noise. And I, I would be surprised if they don't have to play the Lakers or the Clippers in round two. I would be surprised if they don't make it at least to the conference finals. Now, what's going to be funny and potentially a little sad is with the Lakers kind of spiraling a little bit without Anthony Davis – do they fall out of that number three spot into number four? And then they beat the jazz in round two. And we're back to being like, what the hell were we talking about? So for now you have to give it to them. I mean, they're, they're, they're mowing people down. They look awesome all over the court. They're three point shooting. Their passing has been excellent. Now the one loss that, you know, Mo, you mentioned to the Clippers did kind of expose some things in terms of when you get them to play the mid range game, where you don't get them, you know, you, you don't give up those easy looks when you kind of neutralize Gobert on the rolls a little bit. But every team has a way that they can be beaten. Um, I think Utah has fewer than anybody outside of the Lakers, though, and that includes the Clippers, includes the Nuggets, it includes uh, the Suns. So to me, they're number two in the e- in the West. Um, and you know, if they if they make it out of the West, I won't be surprised. I'm not. I would never pick them to, just given what we've seen though from both their past playoff performances as well as their opponents. And one one thing I'll add about the Jazz is they've. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has been the one consistent spot for them in the last couple of postseason runs. Uh, when I say consistent, I mean he gives them that ceiling. Um, and we saw last year how electric he can be, and that he can win games on your own. And I think it was the rest of the roster that really let them down. And then Conley was one of the biggest disappointments of last season. There was a lot of hype around Conley signing with the Jazz and people thinking he was that final piece. And this this year, he's playing like that. And all the advanced stats level, we talked about him as a potential all-star guy. Um, and he's been amazing for them. And I think in the postseason, that's going to matter. Having a guy like Conley playing at this level is going to matter. A guy like Jordan Clarkson, who's become a true microwave scorer, is going to matter. And so you talk about what defenses do to Gobert or offenses do to Gobert to neutralize his impact. Um but at the same time, the rest of these guys are, are playing at another level. And so I do think they're going to give the Clippers trouble. Um, but it would be really funny just to see um, what happens uh, if they do play the Lakers in, in the second round and in that unfortunate seating. Um, because, you know, LeBron, at, at some point, LeBron just doesn't care about the seating anymore. And if Lakers decide to kind of mail it in and settle for the fourth seed, um, the Jazz might be in trouble. Your boy is losing his MVP candidacy. That's all I'll yeah. say. <laughs> oh, we haven't even talked about that, but uh, he's he's got a good case this year. Well, um, the last thing, but you know, we we've uh, before we wrap up, I just wanted to give out a quick shout out to my boy Chris Finch, um, who <laughs> just became the new Minnesota Timberwolves coach. And for people wondering why he's my boy, uh, I was hyping him up when he was signed by the Raptors earlier this season in our over under pods as an offensive genius. Uh, as a guy who's going to revolutionize that Raptors team, the Raptors are climbing back into the picture. So let's not make jokes about that statement just yet. But look, clearly the Timberwolves loved him. 
apparently they've been eyeing him for a while and they didn't even wait a couple hours after firing Ryan Saunders to bring him on board. So just, just yeah, want to do a little victory lap there. The yeah. He just, just, you know, totally broke the coach code. No big deal, but congrats to Chris yeah. Lynch. Yeah. But, uh, but anyways, um, I well, know, I kind of what, feel like Vanderpool should have got an opportunity to coach. I think it is a weird situation. And I know, I don't know if you saw the media, like, Dame Lillard, CJ came out backing him. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe when Luke gets fired next, uh, you know, maybe the Kings go after Vanderpool. Yeah, he, I mean, he was done dirty, and and a lot of people compared the situation to uh, the Kings, who uh, immediately got Luke Walton. I think a day or a couple days after firing Dave Yeager with real no, like no real process to evaluate other candidates. So um, yeah, Vanderpool was done a little dirty, but hey. Chris Finch, I believe in him. Let's see what he can do with this Timberwolves squad. But in, enough of all that. Um, it was great having you on, Mo. Uh, uh, good to talk top shot and, and glad to get, you know, another Kings fan on. So, you know, I'm not alone against Nathan in our uh, little debates. But um, please, everyone, rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops at gmail.com. Send us emails. Send us questions. to Send us your top shot purchases or if you've been thinking about making one. Um, We'll talk about it on on the next episode. So uh, thanks for listening and remember to review, rate, and subscribe.